بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ ٹوڈے از دا ٹوینٹی ففتھ آف فیبروری ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی فور الحمد للہ وی موو آن ٹو دا سیونتھ And I've reached verse 11. So verses 11 and the next 15 verses are all related to the incident of Ifq. So, inshallah, we will mention the report with regards to the incident and then we will turn to the sacred verses. So, the famous incident of Ifq is when our beloved Messenger وسلم, was returning from one of his blessed campaigns. So the hadith is recorded in Sayyih Bukhari number 4141, Sayyih Muslim number 2770, Nasai number 8931, Tirmidhi number 3180, Ahmad in his Musnad, Tabarani, Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 9, page 232. Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 769 to 70 of the Old English Translation. So the whole narrative is recorded in the two glorious Sahih. But I will add reports within it to give a more pregnant picture. So our beloved mother Sayyida Aisha, she relates, radiyallahu anhu. Whenever Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam intended to go on a journey, He would then draw lots amongst his wives and would take with him the one upon whom the lot fell. During a campaign of his, he said, Allah drew lots amongst us and the lot fell upon me. And thus I proceeded with him after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed the use of the veil by women. So, Whenever the Prophet would go on a journey, وسلم, he would be as just and as fair as possible and he would draw lots so one of his wives would come. So Allah the Almighty decreed on this occasion Aisha was to go. And Aisha herself said this was after the veil, meaning that we had to come. I was carried in a hawdaj, i.e. on the camel, and I would dismount while still in it. When Rasulullah had finished his campaign, he was returning home and we approached the city of Al-Madinah. He had ordered to proceed at night so the journey could be accomplished quicker. So the mission has been completed, they're returning and they're traveling during the night because the famous report says the journey is quickened by the night or shortened. When the order of setting off was given, I, with permission, walked till I left the camp behind to answer the call of nature. I and the Hodaj was thus respectfully lowered. After finishing, I returned I to the camp to depart, and suddenly 
I realized that my necklace over my chest was missing. Thus I quickly returned to look for it and was delayed because of this. I, this time, nobody was aware that I had left again. So, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, when you went for a call of nature in those auspicious days, was to go to a, an isolated place. So she got permission and she went. And obviously, she fulfilled her need. But when she came back, she was carrying a necklace. And she goes, it went missing. It wasn't hers. It was her sister's. So she goes, I went quickly back. I to find where I had misplaced it. But this time, nobody knew she had left. The people who used to carry me on the camel came to my hodaj and lifted it once again on the back of my camel, thinking that I was in it. As at that time, women were light in wit, thin, lean, and did not eat much. Thus, those people did not feel the difference in the weight of the hodaj whilst lifting it, and they raised it over the camel, i.e. once more. So, the hodaj is something that can be carried by four men each corner, and they would lift to put it back on, i.e. the back of the camel. And she herself said, because of my, you know, frailness, they didn't realize I was not in it. <laughs> think about that. How frail must she have been for them to think that she's, she's on it and there's nothing in it. At that time, I was a young lady and they set the camel moving and they proceeded on. Meanwhile, I found the necklace after the force had left and when I returned to the camp, I found nobody. So she's found the necklace, she's retracing her steps, and she's realized they've moved on. Thus I, upon reflection, went to the place where I used to stay, thinking that they would discover my absence and come back in my search. Upon reaching the spot, whilst in that state, I felt sleepy and thus slept. So she very intelligently stayed where she was. Why? Because to move around in the, the desert is, is dangerous. And she knew that somebody would be maybe at the back commissioned to look after, to find what is lost, and hopefully somebody would find it. And look how confident she was. She fell asleep. Now think about that. That's not normal. If you're in the desert and you are lost, you know, would you go to sleep? So this shows that she had complete trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh, so she goes, I slept. Safwan ibn Mu'attal as-Sulami, upon his camel, was behind the force and reached my, my place in the morning. And I've explained, the Prophet wasallam had appointed this honorable man to stay behind the force in case anybody had lost any personal belongings, which he could then collect and give it to those who had lost it on his return. So that was his task. So anybody loses anything, he would find it at the bike, and he would bring it back and give it to the one who had lost. When he saw a sleeping person, he came towards me, and he had seen me before. 
I, the commander Valak, those he recognized me. So Aisha explained, before the hijab, he knew me. So he recognized me. I awoke when I heard him say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. So look how honorable he was. He didn't startle. He just said, you know, the verse that you say when something's happened, you hadn't anticipated. But he said it in a way that it awoke. He then made his camel kneel down. He thereupon dismounted and put his leg on the front of the legs of the camel. And then I rode and sat over it. Safwan radiyallahu set off walking, leading the camel by the rope, till we reached the force who had halted to take rest at midday. So how did he honor the mother of the believers? He just basically got, went in front of the camel. He held the bride or the thing that's holding it. She got onto the camel. And now there's no holdage, obviously. So she's sitting, you know, exposed. And he's walking in front. And it took half of the day to get to the main force. So the force of the Prophet hasn't got back to Al-Madinah. So midday, they're all there. And the two emerge. Then whoever was meant for destruction fell into destruction. I, by initiating the horrific slander, and the leader of the false accusers was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. So Aisha went straight to the crooks. Because this is when it started. And she wasn't aware at the time. And she said, whoever was meant to be destroyed was destroyed. But the leader of it was, the one who initiated, was the chief hypocrite, Abdullah ibn Ubay. We thereupon returned to Al-Madinah. And as fate would have it, I became ill for one month. Whilst the people were spreading the forged statements of the false accusers. So what's interesting? The Prophet not said anything. Obviously he's, he's leading the force. They returned back and then she, it was the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, she fell ill. And she's totally oblivious that this rumor is spreading. I also noticed that during my ailment, it was as if I was not receiving the usual kindness from Rasulullah which I used to receive from him when I was ill. Thus he would come and greet me and say, How is that, i.e. young woman? So he's talking in the third person. So instead of saying, how are you? Because how is, how is she, i.e. the young woman? So now what's happened? The rumors reached the Prophet. He's heard by this. But he's not told anything to Aisha. But Aisha Radiyallanga noticed, he's not showing the usual you know, affection, especially when I was ill. I did not know anything of what was going on till I recovered a month later from my ailment and went out with Umm Mista to the Manasi where we used to answer the call of nature and we used not to answer the call of nature except from night to night 
And that was before we had lavatories near our dwellings. And this habit of ours was similar to the habit of the old Arabs in the open country. So she's recovered. And she would she explained what, how women would go for the call of nature. They'd go during the night. They'd use the night as a cover. And they would go to a you know a, an open expanse. But then she mentioned this was before you had built something where you could just easily go to to go for the call of nature. So she went and she said, Dos I and Um Mr. Bint Abu Ruham went out walking. Suddenly, Um Mr. she stumbled because of her long dress. And unbelievably, she said, Let Mr. be ruined. I was shocked. So I said in astonishment, You have uttered terrible words. Why are you abusing a man who took part in battle? So what happened? She tripped. So what's interesting, a lot of so-called coincidences are taking place, but they're not coincidences. She lost her necklace. That was the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Safwan was the one who met her. That was the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She falls ill when she gets to Al-Madina. That's the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, Mr. Trips... That was the will of Allah. So notice again, this is all decreed. And when she trips, she curses her own son. So it's bad enough cursing your own son, but he's badri. So Aisha's thinking, why have you abused the man who took part in badr? She said, Ya Hanta. You there, in other words, are you all there? Have you not heard what they have said? She thereupon informed me of the rumors of the false accusers. So that is how it broke to her. It was through the one who was spreading the slander. Mister, the mother. And she mentioned it. So now to add a detail. Shaykh al-Ahadith Mawlana Muhammad Idris Sahib Gandhi in his Seerat al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa Volume 2, page 317 of the English translation, he stated, According to a Mursal hadith of Sa'id ibn Mansur, the moment this scandalous allegation fell into her ears, she was seized by a shuddering fever brought on by this horrific news. So another report adds a very interesting detail. She got ill again. Because she couldn't believe that people were saying this. And she started getting a fever. She started shaking. Another report. It is also related in Tabarani on the basis of Sahih chains and Abu Ya'la that Sayyida Aisha had said the moment I heard this rumor I felt so ill with grief that unintentionally even the thought of jumping into a well crossed my mind. So she got really ill by hearing this. And she even said, I started getting these strange thoughts. And one thought was to basically kill myself, jumping into a well. Going back to the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. On hearing this terrible news, my illness aggravated. And when I returned, Rasulullah came to me, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And after greeting me, he again said, how is that, I, young woman? 
I requested him to allow me to go to my parents. I wanted to be sure of the news I had heard through them. So look how why she was. She goes, I need to confirm this. I'm not going to ask the Prophet. He goes, would you allow me to go to my parents? He goes, of course. He permitted me. And I went to my parents and asked my mother, what are the people talking about? So what's interesting? Even the parents hadn't told her. So now she's turned to her mother, which is interesting, not her father. He goes, what are the people talking about? She looked at me and she said, Oh my dear daughter, do not worry much about this matter. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, never is there a charming woman loved by her husband who has other wives, but the women then forge false news about her. So something the report. So what did Umm Ruman say, her mother, she was thinking it must be the other wives. She actually was hinting towards that. She goes, never is there a charming woman loved by her husband who has other wives, but the women forge false news about her. So she didn't say it with certainty, but that's what she was, you know, thinking towards. I responded, Subhanallah, are the people really talking of this matter? In other words, is it true? That night, I just kept on weeping and I could not sleep until morning. So she's now confirmed and she's grieving, she's ill and she's weeping. And she goes, I couldn't even sleep because of my weeping. Another report, adding details. In Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham in Isida, and Seerat al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, volume 2, page 318 of the English translation. I then asked, does father know about this room? My mother replied, yes. I thereupon said, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive you, O mother. This malicious rumor is making its rounds amongst the people and you did not even mention it once to me. Wimpering these words, my eyes welled up with tears and I emitted a shriek of agony. My father Abu Bakr was meanwhile busy reciting the Quran in the upper section of the dwelling. When he heard me shriek, he came rushing and asked my mother what's happening. She replied, she is now apprised of the situation and she knows about the rumors. Upon hearing this, Abu Bakr also started weeping. So let's look at this. So Abu Bakr is hurting him, but he's not showing it at all to his daughter. When he hears kind of a whimper of agony, he rushes. And when he's informed that she now knows, he only then showed his grief. Why? Because he didn't want to hurt Aisha. And this was later demonstrated with the passing of the Prophet. He didn't show it. He put on a brave face. But Ibn Umar said in the Quran, the death of the Prophet caused his death. So he was excellent in hiding his emotions. So he's weeping. Another report. In Tabarani in his Ausat, Al-Haytami in Majma'a Al-Zawa'id, volume 9, page 240, is Hassan, 
our mother's grief that she said, when I came to know of these allegations, I desired to jump into a well and die. So when she's confirmed, she's now getting these thoughts again. In another report in Fatl al-Bari, Abu Bakr radiallahu said, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this was not said to us even during Jahaniyyah. So how could it be after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored us with Islam? So Abu Bakr radiallahu he was hadith. He goes, they didn't even talk like this about my family in Jahaniyyah. He goes, how on earth could this take place now in Islam? Going back to the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. In the morning, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa called Ali ibn Abu Talib and Osama ibn Zaid radiallahu when he saw that the divine revelation had delayed, i.e. for over a month had now passed after the incident, to consult them about divorcing his wife. So this is interesting. Rasulullah is Rasulullah. He only knows what Allah Ta'ala informs him of. Allah Ta'ala has not informed him about what's happened. So this is very important. Why? Because all of the knowledge that was given to him is given to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't know. So a month, you know, rumors are spreading. He's trying to ascertain what's happened. So he gets two of his family members, Ali and Osama. Osama ibn Zaid he said what he knew of the good reputation of his wives and he said Ya Rasulullah keep your wife for by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we know nothing about her but good so Osama he praised all the wives and he goes don't even consider divorcing her he goes nothing but goodness has come from her then he turned to Ali. Ali ibn Abu Talib He said, seeing how affected the Prophet was, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has not imposed restrictions upon you. And there are many other women other than her. Yet, you may ask the female servant who certainly knows more about her and will inform you about the truth. So Ali seeing the Prophet hurt over this month. So he wants him to go out of that state. So he was saying, Ya Rasulullah, you haven't got restrictions, meaning we can only marry four. You can marry as many as you wish. But then he said, but I advise that you ask the female servant who's with her, Barina. Now there's another report. In Ibn Ishaq, there is the addition. And this is something you have to be very careful of. What does it mention in that addition? Sayyidina Ali stood before her and beat her severely. Then he said, tell the truth to Rasulullah. And this is the servant, Badila. This narration is Mursa. For it is in the authority of Yazid ibn Ruman. It is Da'if. And this is leaving aside the difficulty in believing Ali without a valid excuse, deliver a severe beating to a slave girl. Whilst Rasulullah stood by, it did not rebuke him. So what's happening? You get some shaitanic elements adding things to the authentic report. At least are beating Badira wrong, severely. So the first thing was, was she doing wrong? And the Prophet is just watching. 
But it's in the books. Ibn Ishaq. Going back to Bukhari and Muslim. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam called Badira radiyallahu and said, Ya Badira radiyallahu, did you ever see anything which roused your suspicions about her? Badira radiyallahu replied, Never. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has sent you with the truth. But I have never seen in her anything faulty except she is a young woman of immature age who sometimes sleeps and leaves the door for the gods to eat. So Badira radiyallahu said, I've never seen anything. And she swore a custom, anything but from Aisha. But because of her youth, she does sleep sometimes. And I noticed that once she didn't even, you know, leave the door in a place of protection, the goats ate it. Because if that's her imperfection, I've told you. Upon hearing this, on that very day, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ascended the pulpit. And he requested that somebody support him in punishing Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salud. So now the Prophet has gone through all he could possibly do. And all fingers are pointing towards the chief hypocrite. He's the one who started the slander. So he said, who will support me in punishing him? He said, Allah said, who will support me to punish that person who has hurt me by slandering the reputation of my family? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I know nothing about my family except good. They have also accused a person about whom I, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, know nothing but good. Indeed, he never entered my dwelling except in my company. So now the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is addressing the matter openly. And he's saying, who will help me with regards to dealing with the one who is accused? And then, he defended Aisha and he defended Safwan. Mm-hmm. And look at his statement about his family. I know nothing about my family except good. And yet how many lies have been attributed to the family of the Prophet? Mm-hmm. You know better than the Prophet. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I know nothing but good about Safwan. Because he never even entered my dwelling except in my company. Because he wouldn't even enter my dwelling. Because he was with me, he would only enter then. Adding details, Hafiz ibn Katir said, It is said that the battle of Armenia took place in the year 19 AH. The commander was Uthman ibn Abu al-As. Safwan ibn Mu'attal was martyred in this battle. And he was one of the commanders of those days. Rasulullah said of him, I only know good of him. In Sayyid Bukhari, number 2661. So Ibn Kathir, he adds something here about Safwan. He goes, he was martyred eight years after the Prophet. So eight years after the Prophet passed away in Umar's Khalifat, there was a battle in uh, Central Asia, in Armenia, and he fell as a martyr there. So he mentioned a little bit about him to help you to connect to him. Going back to the Hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet he said, He is one whom the hypocrites accuse. Sorry, the Aisha said, He is the one 
whom the hypocrites accused in the scandal known as ifk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala absolved him and the mother of the believers of what they had alleged. So, correction again. This is Ibn Kathir speaking. So, he's saying this is Safwan, the one who was accused of the hypocrites. Allah ta'ala absolved him. Ibn Kathir then said, he had not married until then. So, he had said, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I have never uncovered the ties of a woman. Thereafter he married. It is said that he would sleep so deeply that the sun would come out and he would still not be awoken by it. Rasulullah would say to him, if you wake up, then pray. This is in Abu Dawood, number 2459. Ahmad in his Musnad, number 11,350, with the Sahih chain of transmission. Then Ibn Kathir said, he was a poet and attained martyrdom in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is in Al-Bidayah, in the chapter on the 19th year after the Hijrah. So Ibn Kathir mentions a few things about Safwan. He, he didn't marry. He was very fearful of his purity. But he had this strange trait. He, he would go to sleep and it would be very difficult to, for him to wake up. So he once complained. He goes, Ya Rasulullah, I seem to wake up and Fajr's finished. The sun has risen. The Prophet said, you pray at that time. <laughs> Meaning you can pray Fajr when the sun's out. Subhanallah, this indeed was one of the immense honors given to our beloved messenger from our exalted Lord. How do we know? Imam Sayyuti, Rahmatullah in his Khasa'is Al-Qubra, volume 2, page 262, had a chapter entitled, The chapter concerning the speciality of the Prophet that he can specify whatever and whosoever from any of the rulings he wants. For further details, refer to Fattul Bari, volume 9, page 429. So the Prophet he had the complete license from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, like we'd say, bend the rules. We can't pray Fajr when the sun rises. The prayer is over. Safwan could. The person starts scratching his head. He's what are you talking about? The Prophet was given the authority. He gave it to Safwan. So he could pray Fajr. We can't. And Imam Siyuti said, this is a speciality that the Prophet had. He would use it every now and again. Who did he use that honor for? Safwan. Think about that. That's a unique honor given to Safwan. Nobody else could pray Fajr when the sun rises. It's Qaza. In fact, we have to wait until Ishraq. Then we can pray, right? Because, the, you know, to do with the shaitan. And also, there's many other examples of this. The Prophet ﷺ gave a gold ring to a companion and he never took it off. And somebody queried him because the Prophet put it on my finger. Do you think I'm going to take it off? But gold is forbidden for me. And yet, the Sahaba had a gold ring. Specifically for him. In Imam Ahmad's Muslim. So note again, Safwan is honored here. We should have a connection with this person who Allah ultimately proved his innocence as well. And inshallah, we will continue with this long report in the next session if we're still alive. So, like I mentioned, we're going through the verses of Ifq. But before going through the verses, we need to mention the incident and go through it slowly to understand the ramifications then we will realize what Allah Ta'ala has revealed in regards to the matter. 
So we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He makes the Quran the Rabbi of our hearts. And I pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He forgives me for any errors which I may have inadvertently ordered. Subhanahu wa bihamdi is one of the lahum of bihamdika ashwalai lahi illa anta stafarika tu balika tu balai mishida alim subhanahu wa bika rabbil izati amma isabu wa salamu ala mursaleem alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wal asr in the sound lafi khusr ladina aminu wa amilu salihat wa rawasibil haq wa rawasibil sabr sallallahu alayhi